Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering immigration detention centers and a horrible news story that's come out about women being forced to receive unwanted hysterectomies. We've become sort of used to ours, frankly, in the detention centers with families being separated, with children being held by themselves. But we sort of hit a new level this week with reporting that's coming out of Georgia at a privately run detention center where women who are being held there are being forced to undergo hysterectomies, often without their knowledge, often without them being told what's happened to them, often for very unclear and inadequate reasons or no justification at all. This story, as you can imagine, has received a fair amount of attention. It stemmed from a complaint that was filed by a group of organizations who focus on immigrant rights, and it's been aggressively covered by a news organization called Prism.org, which is a, a news organization that looks at injustice and reports on injustice in all of its forms. I'm proud to be joined today by Tina Vasquez, who's a senior reporter at Prism, who's been following this story. Tina Vasquez, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Before we begin, tell us just a little bit about Prism, um, which is a fairly new news organization. Tell us about who you are and what, what you all focus on. Yeah, I, I'm a senior reporter at Prism. Um, what's very interesting is that our entire editorial team is women of color, and we report, you know, on the people and the places and the issues that um, a lot of mainstream media outlets aren't covering. And so, how did you come across this particular story about what was going on in this detention center? So, you know, like a lot of reporters, I received the complaint. And I wasn't planning. <laughs> I've reported on reproductive injustice in the immigration system for a long time. So sadly, I could not say that I was very surprised by the information related to COVID, especially. Right. Yeah, and we'll um, get into that in a second. And by the way, just, just to back up, the, the complaint that she referenced is from, there was a group of organizations, including Project South, Georgia Detention Watch, Georgia Latino Alliance for Human Rights and South Georgia Immigrant Support Network that filed this complaint. So go ahead. Yeah. And so you sort of, you know, you make your way through the complaint and it's things that a lot of us are hearing about COVID. And then, you know, toward the end, you get to information about hysterectomies. Um, and so that's when I decided to cover it and to cover that part in particular, uh, just a lot started to unfold very quickly. And from a person I trust very much. I received the doctor's name. And so then oh. it was a matter of confirming it and reaching out to everyone I knew who, you know, worked in the detention system in Georgia and represented people who were uh, detained at Irwin. Right. And you, you, Prism published the doctor's name. And at the time mm -hmm. when the story went up that I saw, you had not reached him. Um, that's still the case? Yeah, I've I've only interacted with his attorney and received right. the same sort of boilerplate statement from the attorney, no matter the kinds of questions that you ask. Right. So one of the things that I think you did particularly well uh, that made your story um, so riveting was you sort of, you made an effort to put this case, I mean, and, and, and this case is particularly horrific, at least I thought, even given everything else we know about what's been going on at these detention centers. Did you find it that way too? Was it, I mean, you, you've been 
writing about these issues for a while, but did it take your breath away in a new way? Or was it like, oh, this is another awful thing? Oh, that's so complex. Um, I saw it as like a piece of what I know about the detention system and how reproductive injustice is like very baked in, especially to the medical system in mm. the detention system. But the hysterectomies were something that I had not encountered before. And to me, at least right now, that seems very, very particular to Irwin. Like I, not to put too much faith in how things work, but I would be very shocked to learn that it's like, oh, lots of detained women all over the country are getting hysterectomies without their consent. Mm -hmm. I believe that this story is very tied to Georgia and very tied to this doctor. What do you think the motivations were here? I mean, I think uh, what I can say is that I think a lot of attorneys who represented women who were detained there are now starting to kind of pour over those case files and those medical records. Um, it's just so hard. You know, it, it's I think I think money is the core, you know, whether this doctor had you know, other nefarious intentions about detained women or immigrant women and their ability to have children. Mm -hmm. That I can't say. I've not spoken to that man. I, mm -hmm. I don't know those intentions. I, what I know and what I am hearing and based on what I've seen, this was about making money and it was about making money off of performing surgeries on detained women. I mean, I understand why. I don't understand, but I mean, the logic of like, this is a doctor who could make money by performing these unnecessary, unnecessary surgeries on these women. That's, that's one thing. But what would be the motivation of the detention center to funnel people to him? It, is there evidence, for example, that, that somebody at the detention center was receiving kickbacks or something? I mean, I, I think that's currently being looked to, into by the uh -huh. attorneys who represent these women. Um, I... I have to believe that he has an agreement or a contract. Mm -hmm. um, but part of the story that's so murky for me is how this man, you know, manages the hospital, right? So like what happens when the man who's accused of performing hysterectomies without a person's consent owns the company that manages the hospital? Like, mm -hmm. Can you rely on those records? Mm -hmm. You know, what what does the paper trail look like and why does it look that way? Mm -hmm. I think those are kinds of the things that attorneys right now are especially grappling with. I mean, if I'm understanding what I'm hearing correctly, is that the medical records that will come from Dr. Amin um, may not be very reliable. Right. You said something when we started that is, is important and that we pause on for a second, which is that this case, as awful as it is, is part of a broader history of reproductive injustice in the U.S. Can you just walk us through that a, a little bit? You have some of it in your story, but just to help us un understand what the context is here. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of regret tying it to what we're seeing under Trump. I, you know, I've been covering immigration for a long time, but I really started kind of linking immigration and reproductive injustice under the Obama administration. And what I learned looking at the detention system is that all of the systems that are operating there are just kind of replicated from the prison system. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, where family separation is a byproduct of detaining or incarcerating people, um, you know, separating parents from their children is very much a part of that. When I was mm-hmm. working at an outlet called Rewire News, you know, I did a series about how um, Border Patrol, for whatever reason, seemed to be really targeting pregnant migrants who were trying to enter the U.S. without authorization under the uh, zero tolerance policy. And so because they were being prosecuted, they weren't funneled into ICE uh, or into the detention system. They were being funneled into U.S. Marshal Services custody. Mm-hmm. And so if they had to give birth while in custody, you know, the hospital would separate them from their newborns. And I was never mm-hmm. able to verify how many times that happened or if those women were ever able to find their newborns once they got out. And so, you know, those are the kinds of understandings that I've always been operating within when I report Mm -hmm. on stuff like this is that, you know, family separation happened at the border, but family separation happens in a lot of different ways in the detention system Mm -hmm. and reproductive injustice looks a lot of different ways in the detention system, but it's, it's very much a part of how the detention system operates. So the hysterectomies, of course, are like shocking and horrible, but it's a system that's set up that would allow for something like this to happen for so long. Right. I mean, you draw a line between what's happening here to cases like the Tuskegee experiment, which used African-American mm-hmm. sharecroppers to essentially experiment on with treatments for syphilis, and in many cases with people dying, and the testing of uh, birth control pills on Puerto Rican women unknowingly. It's all, you know, it's this going back to this question of motivation. I mean, there's a there's a line that, that's very thin between what is going on here and sort of torture and genocide, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I when I think of who the targets are of these kinds of injustices, they are people who are very vulnerable and they are people that I think those who target them um don't believe that there will ever be any justice for them or do not believe that people will believe what they are saying. Um, They're thought of as very disposable, you know? So in reporting on the situation in Georgia, I spoke to a woman who was detained there who had experiences with the whistleblower and who was operated on by the doctor. And she decided to pull out of the story um, like Mm -hmm. very close to publication time because she was very unhappy with the framing, right? She didn't want this to just be about this one doctor because mm-hmm. when he goes away, like the system is still going to operate as it has. Mm-hmm. And I understand that and I respect that. And um, so she pulled her story, but I mean, for her, it was, there is a much bigger story here about Irwin County Detention Center and what she saw mm-hmm. and how women were treated as disposable there and how what the doctor is doing is just one example of that. And I believe her and I trust her judgment on that. And I hope that we can connect and talk again. But I mean, that's the thing that I couldn't convey, you know, is that she sees this as a much bigger system. And she had very, very specific information about how all of this played out and mm-hmm. we couldn't report it. Um but yeah, it, it was basically, you know, and that's why I wanted to include the opinions of people from Douglas. I don't know if I was successful in that framing in my mm-hmm. latest piece. It seems a lot of people are unhappy about 
that framing. But what I wanted to convey is that this doctor is very powerful in Douglas. You know, mm-hmm. he he owns a company that manages the hospital. He provides care for everyone. You know, a woman said it, you would be hard pressed to find someone in Douglas who hasn't interacted with him or whose children weren't delivered by him. Mm-hmm. He's really powerful and he's really respected. And I think he wielded that, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what I was hoping to convey in the latest piece. And I don't know if I was very successful at that based on what I'm hearing, but. Um, and what are you hearing I, that, that, that you, you're, that the picture you're painting is, is one dimensional or what are the, what is the, what is the feedback you're getting? I mean, the way that I was hoping to frame the piece was that this was, this is a very complicated situation. I don't think Dr. Amin is complicated. I think how he's perceived is complicated. And I think mm-hmm. how he wielded power is complicated. Um, mm-hmm. And people have told me that it, you know, it looks like I kind of uncritically just reported what his supporters in Douglas, Georgia mm-hmm. are saying, or mm-hmm. that it, you know, it seems like a got to hear both sides kind of thing where you have to present this man as a respected member of the community or as a pillar of the community. And those are direct quotes from people who work in the medical community with him, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, from a p- former patient of his in Douglas. But what I was hoping to convey is that he's very powerful here, mm-hmm. you know, like he's had businesses in that area for a long time. He's practiced in that area for a long time. He manages the hospital where yeah. these alleged hysterectomies took place. Yeah. Um, and that's complicated. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of, you know, when we, we talking to people who are writing about police uh, brutality or police attacks and, and they, you know, the people, a lot of people who write about this say you have to like, it's about the structures. It's about yeah. the structures. It's not about it's it's not a it's about this one officer and this one force, but it, it's about a bigger structure, um, and that's a complicated story and it takes a while. But I think you're hitting up against the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I I think that's really um, in this case in particular, I think that's really important because I think the public perceptions of him really colored what he was able to do behind the scenes. Yeah. It's it's so hard to, you know, I mean, what has it been like to spend your life in recent days just enmeshed in this, this horror? I mean, what is it like for you to just, how, how do you pull yourself out of it? Or do you? <laughs> um, not this week, no. I mean, I've reported on really bad things related to immigration for a very long time. This has uh-huh. felt, this has felt very different. Um. Mm-hmm. There are things that I am coming to understand that I just can't sleep. Like I can't sleep. I can't. It's just, it's like so many levels of horrible. So I've not been good at taking care of myself this week. Mm. There's been a lot of crying, a lot of sleepless nights, um, hours and hours of interviews, just trying to wrap my head around like what it is that's happening. And that hasn't, you haven't had that same reaction on other other stories that you've done on, on detention or immigration to this level? This, yeah, this, I mean, I feel like when you report on reproductive injustice in the immigration system, or even when you report just on the immigration system, you can't, you have to learn to take care of yourself because you're Mm going to hear horrible things all the time. Mm -hmm. And I mostly became very good at taking care of myself and having a structure and taking weekends, but Mm-hmm. No, like I slept, you know, two hours the other night and did interviews for like 14 hours and um, just like completely engulfed in it, like very, 
very upset by everything that I was hearing. It, mm-hmm. This this reporting does feel very, very different to me. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the coverage of this of this incident or the coverage of the broader issues that are that are coming up at these detention centers? I mean, I know it's hard to generalize about media coverage. Um, yeah because everybody does it differently. But I mean, you must have, you must have thoughts about what you yeah. read and what people are getting right and what they're getting wrong. Um, I mean, yes, because I don't think the media did this. I think people who consume media did this, but there was a very quick, um, well, I guess reporting did this also, kind of centering of Don Wooten, right? Like the story in some ways, in some reporting, was not about what she said she saw, right? It wasn't about COVID. It, it wasn't about the hysterectomies. It was the whistleblower. Like there's a whistleblower and that became the story. Um, but from reporting on detention for so many years, I know very intimately that when we hear about really grave injustices that happen in the detention system and in detention centers, when in-custody deaths happen, when people become gravely ill, all of that starts in like the medical department at the detention center. And that is where Don Wooten worked. And if I'm understanding correctly, there aren't, there's no kind of documentation that there was any whistleblowing prior to March, 2020. And she worked there on and off for 10 years. And so- Uh immediately that kind of was a red flag for me. Like this is a person who's worked at a nurse in a detention center off and on for 10 years. And so much of the framing of the report was about COVID. And then at the very end, you hear about hysterectomies. And so Mm -hmm. I was very, very reluctant about the reporting that really became about the whistleblower and wasn't kind of interrogating what, what nurses in detention centers know. Yeah. Well, and also focusing on the whistleblower makes it easier for people to try to dismiss the story by focusing on the person. I mean, we've seen this, you know, throughout the Trump administration where these whistleblowers sort of get personally attacked as a way to kind of undercut the arguments that they're making. And I couldn't, you know, work quickly enough. I really wish that in the first piece in which I named the doctor that I was also able to kind of center the women who were sterilized by him or the women who were operated on by him. I was able to do that in the second piece that I had published, but yeah, I also, you know, I didn't want it to just be about the whistleblower and it's very much about the doctor, but I also, you know, it's always, always important to me to center the people who experience the harm. Right. So where does this story go now? So the, the privately run detention center, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who, where, where do the investigations set? Um, what, what is going to be the next move? Do you think? Yeah, I think um, the attorneys that I am in touch with, who you know have uh, clients who were deported from the Irwin County Detention Center or who were detained at the Irwin County Detention Center, are now sort of poring over those records and they're checking in with all of those clients to better understand, you know, what their experience was like there, especially with this doctor. Um, so that is ongoing. I think that's going to reveal a lot about the extent of these operations and sterilizations, like how many women there were. But I also think there's a bigger question about, you know, what his agreement or contract or Mm -hmm. relationship was 
with the Irwin County Detention Center, which is privately run, you know, and again, the doctor owns the company that manages the hospital where the operations took place. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot to account for there. I think Mm -hmm. that's where it's going to go. And I think, you know, I'm also delving more into the doctor's history. Mm -hmm. Did you go to Georgia? No, I did not. You've, you've, uh, is it, is it because of COVID that you're doing this remotely? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would ideally go there and ideally kind of, um, spend time with the people who've been operated on by him. Right. Tina, it's great to talk to you. Um, terrific job on this story and I'm sorry, um, take care of yourself. It's, 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 it's hard to do, but it's, it's really important. And, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. You can read CJR's coverage of the media and the media's coverage of this issue and others at cgr.org and follow our daily email at the media today. Thanks for listening. See you next week.